One five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. From Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Don't let anyone tell you South Louisiana is only about football and food. Startups in biotech, high-tech, and industry abound between Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and the North Shore, and they're trying to do some really cutting-edge things. Will they succeed? What are the hurdles they're encountering as they try to launch? John Doddle can help answer some of those questions. He's the co-owner and co-founder with his wife, Annette, of Insight GX. It's a startup based on the North Shore that does genetic testing for large companies in order to help those organizations and their employees become healthier and more aware of their genetic makeup. The idea is to sell the service to employers instead of providers and help them find out things like what sorts of medicine their employees shouldn't take or whether they're genetically predisposed to certain diseases. John spent the past 25 years in the medical biotech industry. Annette was in employee benefits, and recently they went out on their own to launch this company. So, John, congratulations. Cool story. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Out to Lunch. Rex Industrial is a startup company here in Baton Rouge that has developed a software system that dramatically reduces the price and lead time of the everyday structures required by companies. The software enables clients to customize the structure they need, like, say, a platform to reach a pipeline. And then a finished engineered structure is delivered to their front door. Alan Martin is the owner and founder of Rex Industrial. Alan, we have so much industry here in this market, and no doubt a lot of companies will be very interested in what Rex Industrial has to do. So we look forward to hearing Uh, your story. Thank you for the introduction. Glad to be here. Well, John, I'm going to start with you. Now, okay, the idea for your company was born out of the need to help employees with the cost of medication. So you test people to find out specifically like if they interact poorly with medicines or have a predisposition to disease? Right, well, the the basis of the company was to look at uh, employee groups and then look at population health. And by doing so, we have analytics where we can um, basically take their claims data reports, run it through our uh, custom proprietary algorithm uh, software, and then identify people that perhaps have uh, on medications that aren't appropriate for them genetically or there's drug-drug interactions or perhaps there could be even a a drug-food interaction. And by identifying those people that have risk, then we can decide to test them. And once you have that decision uh, decision made to test them, then there's actual results that uh, the employee and their physician can go through to get them on the right medicine. So you start by analyzing the claims data, but then you go in and actually may test them do a genetic test on them? We would. Right. Uh, okay. You know, we would make recommendations based off of what we learned through um, through the uh, claims analysis. And really and truly, you look at uh, different medicines, uh, common medicines that we use every day that are prescribed, 50% don't work on certain 
patients. Uh, wow. It's, it, it, so it's very high. So an example of that would be, uh, you know, uh, something like a warfarin that would be used for um, someone who had maybe a heart event. Okay. And so it's high. You know, it's highly likely fifty percent of uh, uh, individuals won't respond to that. Hmm. So what do you do? Well, you try, you try, you try until you find something that responds. And it really could be a, a pretty significant risk for a patient. So if we can go in and do the test, we identify that early on, get them on the right medicine the first time, the outcomes are going to be much better. Save the, uh, you know, perhaps... The employers, the, save them a lot of save money. Save them money. But you know what? Employees co-share the cost of this. So, sure. you know, you think about... Um, your, your copay for medicines have gone up 230% over the past 10 years. And so uh, employees are in the game just as much as the employer about saving costs. So um, those decisions to um, decide to, to have this test are, are financial for them, it's financial for the, uh, for the employer, but it's also about you know, having good health care. Right. Now, how did you come up with this idea? Because this is so unusual. Or, I mean, it seems unusual to a layperson. Maybe there are a million people talking about this out there. But. Well, you know, I think it's coming on. I think there's going to be other organizations that do this. We, we actually came up with this uh, idea because, you know what, it's, it's, the cost have come down, has come down for genetic testing a lot, and it's going to continue to come down. But you can't go to an employer and say, hey, let's test everyone in your organization. It's just not cost-effective because there's a certain percentage that, um, that really should have the test, and a certain percentage that are super healthy, and it really wouldn't make sense. So if you can identify this, it really, uh, there's a scale that we look at, a one to five scale, and the higher you go up in the scale, the more likelihood that uh, you perhaps need to have this test done. And so we can eliminate people that are very low risk for- Right off the bat. Off the, off the bat. And then we can identify the highest at risk, and then the people in the middle, of course, uh, no people in the middle are, are the most, but those are the ones that are either trending towards or, you know, chronic diseases or high blood pressure or diabetes, all these types of things. So that middle group is the largest group, and we can pretty much specifically say, you know what, out of your, give me an example, 100 employees that you have, you probably have about 25% that uh, are in some type of uh, medication or situation that would really benefit from having this stuff. Such a unique idea. I want to ask you a few more questions about it, but Alan, I want to bring you into the conversation because you have a really unique idea too. It's a customized, designed industrial structure. I mean, is this like 3D printing sort of um, in, a, in, a, in a different medium or is it really just software that you all are selling? How, right. how does it work? It's a software that connects engineering, design, and fabrication in a new way. Uh, it, it streamlines the entire process to take user inputs and deliver a finished product at the end. Uh, this is in comparison to the current situation where there's a lot of bidding and estimating and time in between those actions and information is handed off from one party to another to receive the same structure. With us, uh, we build the intelligence into the software and we integrate the contractor services to make it a seamless transaction for our users, our clients. So- so let's break it down even more. So if you're a big plant on the river and you want to build like a, some sort of staircase or platform to reach a, pla- a pipeline, sure. as, it, as it would stand now, you'd have to get construction designs and go out to bid and all that kind of stuff. And Correct. this makes that easier. Yes. Uh, we, we do not sacrifice quality at all in the process. You still receive the same quality control. But as a user, you're moving into something like an on-demand economy. 
So we're allowing these structures to be delivered on demand and um, at the same time reducing price and lead time, which companies like both of those things quite a bit. Yeah, so lead time means it's a lot quicker, right? Delivery time, (laughs) correct. How how much faster? How much time do you think you Uh, save? We think we could cut down the the delivery time by 50% and the price around 33%. That's very huge savings. Uh, Yes. I think our real value proposition is the time. Uh, It's nice to be able to tell a company you could save them a couple hundred thousand, but, you know, if you're a billion-dollar industry or a company, uh, what they really love to hear is that you could get it to them quicker to allow them to stay operational. Sure. Now, I mean, this is going to pose a whole new sort of competition out there. I mean, this is the disruption economy at work. Right. Uh, Are you worried about them trying to kill this idea? No. uh, I think uh, everyone stands to gain by, you know, bringing efficiency to a market. Uh, More projects will be undertaken because the economy, economics are better. And uh, we use uh, a network of vendors to to work with to supply these uh, structures and it allows them to have additional revenue streams. And uh, it doesn't decrease the cost or the value of what they're providing. It just really reduces the time and the money that's associated with time in order to bring the prices down. So uh, we're not taking anything away from someone else. Sure. We're just allowing an ease of a transaction to, to the user. And... Um do you write the software yourself, or did you did you just come up with the idea that we need this kind of software and hire right. some software so, engineers? Uh, my background is in engineering consulting, so through years of uh, working on that side of the fence, uh, I was able to get a really good understanding of what it takes to deliver these products and went to work uh, to create a way to get as much value, or not lose any value, but still deliver the same product. And what I arrived at was this software. But what Rex is responsible for is the design of the user interface. We know what the clients are looking for, what they, the site needs to do, and we're actually working with a local company to do the coding for the software. So you've hired a local company like to Correct. sub for you to actually write the code? Yes, we uh, subcontract out the actual coding. And then who builds these finished structures and delivers them to your customers? All right, we're in discussions with uh, the Turners and the Cajun Industries of the world. and. Uh, there's a number of different fabricators that we're going to bring online and ideally we have a a geographical network that allows us to keep the cost of shipping down so we're not shipping something from uh, Mobile to Beaumont ideally we have a fabricator closer to the in location so we're keeping the cost of shipping down Mm -hmm. you're listening to out to lunch I'm Stephanie Regal we're talking to Alan Martin of Rex Industrial and John Doddle of Insight GX John who who writes your software to then analyzes the data that crunches that information? You know, we work with uh, uh, a vendor that's uh, one of the top vendors in, in pharmacogenomics. They hadn't thought about Okay, new word. What is that? Pharmacogenomics is really the study of uh, genetics and medicine and how they interact. Pharmacogenomics. Pharmacogenomics. And so they're, uh, they are really one of the premier, maybe the premier uh, company that does the translation. So when you take the genetic code or genetic information from a lab, it's really uh, just big data. And so you need an organization that can take that and turn it into actionable information. And so uh, there's a few companies across the country, not many, that do this. And uh, we have worked with uh, what we consider to be the premier uh, knowledge base of uh, genetics and medicine. And through that, we help them build the, 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 the process. And they have the uh, genetic information. We have the expertise of what the employers are looking for. So we kind of put that together to build this. What about 
employee privacy concerns. It seems like that would be the biggest red flag that, you know, would go off in somebody's head. Well, it should be. And, uh, you know, the, the way that we manage this is that all of our uh, portals that have access are HIPAA compliant, very important uh, to, to protect patient information. And uh, the, from the employer standpoint, they have no access to individual information. It's so they can't find out that I haven't predisposed to they, some horrible disease and no. kick me off the plan? No. Okay. No. And the reason that, that, I mean, there's laws that prevent that, number one. The G, uh, GINA Act, which is, uh, you know, very strong in that area. Plus, they're working with their individual physician to have the test done. It comes to them. It's very, uh, it's very private and uh, HIPAA compliant. Okay. Now, you all are both very new in in these ventures, which is what makes it so much fun and so exciting. Are y'all actually selling these these products and services yet, or are you sort of in a you know, pre-launch phase or a pilot phase? Where are y'all at the moment, respectively? Well, I'll start. Uh, you know, we have, um, we've engaged in a lot of pilots, and so uh, what we've done is that we piloted this with uh, several third-party administrators, several uh, really large uh, employee benefit companies uh, with their executive team so that they can have the personal experience of going through the test and learning what it means to them. So if they're going to have a conversation with uh, an employer, they've got to know really what we're talking about. So we take them through the steps just like an employer would, would go through the mm-hmm. steps. And so we've done analytics on uh, a number of companies. If you're, if you're a company owner, you're, you know, a large company, you want all the data you can get. get. Sure. So what our uh, analytics do, it will help you predict what your costs are going to be for the following year. And if you're self-funded or self-insured, you need that, that well, information. You're not, you're not sure. you know, you're not relying on a you know a carrier to cover your costs. You're co- you're covering it yourself. So it can help you predict that. Plus, it can identify uh, a lot of different risk factors for for costs. So have you sold this? I mean, you said you've done the analytics. For, yeah, we're doing. So the, you're actually working for some people. Yes. All right. Now, what about you, Alan? Is Rex Industrial actually in business yet, or it's still getting Uh, ready to launch? We are preparing for an October launch. Uh, To date, most of our time has been spent uh, on intellectual property protection. Uh, Last October, we received patent pending status, uh, working with Jones Walker to produce that. Very exciting. And also uh, working on alpha versions of the the software and getting feedback from potential clients. Uh, And all that's all led to us, uh, you know, preparing to launch in October. Very good. Well, I know there are a lot of challenges involved with, 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 with the startup company, so I'll, I'll talk to you all about that in a minute. But first, I want to take a break and have a little fun. This is a part of the show that we call Another Great Idea. So maybe you have a friend who always has a great idea for you, a job you should apply for, or a guy you should have coffee with, and sometimes that advice turns out to be great, and sometimes it turns out to be a disaster. So wondering if you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you, and did you take that advice, and how did it turn out? Uh, let's see, I guess I'll take this one first. Perfect. Uh, advice. Uh, when I was in the consulting world, uh, we had a very aggressive project we were working on and uh, deadlines every week and really just pushing to hit every deadline. And uh, my supervisor at the time, uh, Jerry Dozart, you know, mentioned to the group that we need to not be so focused on the task right in front of us that we lose the big picture. And I just think that's true on so many different levels. Uh, from a project execution standpoint, you have to see if what you're doing is working and take a step back and, and you know, sometimes have the, the guts to change your strategy or uh, professionally if you're so focused on the things you're working on at the moment and you don't 
survey the landscape every now and then, you may miss a very good opportunity. Absolutely. So I just thought that was uh, really solid advice. That's good advice. Well, for me, it actually came from uh, from my wife. And uh, obviously <laughs> having a wife, you've you got to take advice occasionally. So uh, really and truly, it was more about, thank you, um, investing in yourself. And, and what I mean by that is that not just investing, you know, in your career, your mm -hmm. job, but really thinking about um, investing in yourself in ways that are really different. And so, for one of hers, I'm you know I'm not a cheap guy, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a frugal guy. And so, for me to you know spend money on uh, investing in myself was a little bit of a challenge. So there was a really cool uh, opportunity in Florida to go down and listen to uh, a uh, kind of a conference where it was about achieving audacious goals. And so we, uh, so I, I bit the bullet and attended it. And so while I was down there, I, you know what? Not only did I kind of, you know, fill myself with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, improvement ideas, but when I got back, I got back to my reg regular career. Those things kind of fed out to, uh, you know, my employees and, and people I work with, and they started having success. And so I started thinking about this whole idea of investing in yourself, and it's kind of like a selfish thing that you might mm -hmm. think about, but it's not. It really, there's nothing more. Uh, unselfish that you can do is to invest in yourself, you know, because it improves your, your life with your family, your children, your co-workers, and, and your community if you'll do that. And so I, I make it a priority for myself. No, I think that's very, that's very good advice. And we're often so impatient and want to get it done and stay focused on what we have to do. But that's part of it, right. part of the process. Speaking of the process, what are the steps um, to launching a startup? Uh, do you all have employees yet? And when do you bring on employees? At what point, you know, you've got a million balls in the air and you're trying to to get it all together. I mean, you're pretty much on the ground now, John, Alan, you almost are. But, I mean, you uh, have people working yes, with you, you um, financing. Uh, oh, yes, financing, uh, building the business model, sharpening it, uh, working with potential partners and vendors and building a team. Uh, I think for a startup, it's important to be very lean. Uh, that way, you could ride out the roller coaster that's inevitable. Right. Uh, so, main thing is uh, for us is uh, building a team of quality people that have experience and a network of connections that ultimately are going to lead to sales or have uh, technical expertise. So, do you have a couple of people on board? Yes, uh, uh, we have a, a four-man ownership team right now: uh, Mike Tate, uh, Trey Miller, and, and Joe Miller. And uh, we are, you know, doing what we need to do to prepare for launch. Now, do y'all still have your day jobs, or have has uh, everybody I'm, gone I home? I'm full time on on Rex, and uh, the other three are are part time. That's got to be the hard part is when you when you jump ship and and really. Yes, yeah, uh, but they say unless you get rid of the safety net, you'll never, you know, fully commit. Um, those phone calls that you might have been a little nervous to make, <laughs> those all go away whenever that net is gone. Uh, those meetings that. You may have hesitated to take. You know, it's all full speed ahead once you, you get have on that to. side. You have, you have no have choice to. but yeah. success. Exactly. What about you, John? Um, well, you know, this this adventure has been about a, uh, a little over a year for myself, and um, so really and truly, it's kind of a lonely thing to do to be an entrepreneur, and you don't have you know the network that you have in corporate. You know, I spent 25 years in large corporate business. And so, you know, you wear all the hats. You do everything every day. Uh, you know, I took my computer back off the other day to try to fix something that was broke. So, I mean, you really do everything. <laughs> and so what I found is, you know, living this, this lonely, uh, you know, entrepreneurial life that there's things that you do to help. And so what I started looking at and thinking about having, you know, a board, you know, really something like an advisory board because I don't know everything. And I try to pick people that, you know, or 
in the industry but had interest that yeah. liked to mentor. And so that's really made a big difference in a lot of decisions that I made. I think it's helped me speed along uh, some decisions that um, were really difficult to make. And so that's one of the, I think, one of the things that probably helped me most is to pull in some extra eyes and thoughts and have some someone to talk to instead of trying to figure it out. But it's pretty own. much you and your wife doing it. It's pretty much me and my wife. Now, I'll tell you, there's, you know, this, this industry that this uh, employee benefit industry is really a tight-knit niche industry and so we have a lot of networks that we work with mm-hmm. and so we don't necessarily have to hire salespeople to go out and so we are the salespeople yeah. um, but uh, and you know they're, they're interested in the technology that we have to take to their employers so they, they can you know separate themselves from uh, their competition plus they think it's really a, a great idea to yeah. help save costs. Are there a lot of is there a lot of competition? Are there a lot of other companies out there doing what you all are, are trying to do? To my knowledge, no one has taken this approach yet. Really? Uh, we've searched, and there are some similar uh, strategies in other areas of taking user inputs and producing a product. But uh, for the markets that we serve, we don't see anything out there like hmm. what we're doing. Interesting. And what about you, John? Um, there's hundreds. <laughs> really a lot of competition. So we, we think we're in the right space. They're we, doing this. Pharmacogenomics. I mean, there's, these are big institutions. Uh, Mayo Clinic, um, John Hopkins. Um, there's just, you know, there's a lot of really large organizations doing it, but they're doing it in a model that's a lot different than ours. And so there's, if you look at the number of people that have had genetic tests, whether it be for whatever, it's around 15% of the population, which is pretty low for the value that it can bring. And so it's usually driven by physicians who are concerned because they've either tried two or three medicines and they can't really, uh, they're not hitting, you know, not hitting up that home run. And so they'll decide to, to do a test. But still, it's a really low number. Um, the carrier world or the insurance world hadn't quite figured out how to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so with the cost coming down, it's, it's becoming much more attractive to learn this information and uh, I think it's going to continue to come down. Um, but, you know, as far as uh, competition, it's really alternative things that employers can do to try to cost, you know, to shave costs off their uh, benefit costs. I mean, it's a lot of it is really shifting costs to the employee, which is painful. Yeah. Uh, some of it is putting together wellness programs that may or may not work. Um, so we're looking for ways to really um, help employers manage their, their health care costs, improve care, and imp- improve employees' lives. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What about the financing? You mentioned financing, Alan. Have, yes. Did you go to banks? Did you go to pitch night competitions or angel investors or VC firms? Yes. As, a, as an early stage company, you have you know so many options for financing that you could explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, most banks uh, want to see uh, historical data. And uh, that puts you more into the, the angel groups, uh, the private investor realm. Right. And uh, we uh, experience the full spectrum of experience when uh, dealing with the angel groups. Everything from they don't return your calls to very good experiences with a lot of productive meetings and due diligence. Um, overall, um, I think it only makes you better because when you, when you ask people for money, they're not just going to hand it over to you and they challenge you and your sure. assumptions and those are some those challenges make you stronger as a company because it makes you look at things that you may have taken for granted and uh, like I said the challenges only make you stronger yeah well you know uh, for our business we're, we're self-funded so far so we've uh, we've taken uh, out um, you know our savings and, and invested into this uh, into this process and I think we, at one point we're going to be at a scalable uh, uh, position where we would probably look for maybe a Series A type of uh, investment uh, 
program. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I want all proofs of concept to, to be there. When I go and uh, meet with investors, I want them to sit there. Want, you know, they're going to be coming to me, hopefully, and saying, you know, we're going to be partners with you. We're going to build this together. I don't, I'm not really looking for uh, an investor who would say, hey, here's my money. Yeah. You know, Fill me out every you know every other week. Let's have a phone call about it. I really want someone invested in our mm -hmm. company and our success. I think that's a good point because all the conversations change the further along that you get with the proof of concept and proof proof of revenue. Even if it's not earth shattering, uh, it's just a lot different than asking for it too early, which I had some experience with. And what happened? That didn't go well. Uh, I mean, it didn't bear fruit. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, there's some relationships that we're going to revisit when we're a little bit further down the road. Right. So I think it's worth it in that sense. And uh, just to learn the community, uh, the startup community, you know, in Louisiana is, is worth is worth the meetings alone. But uh, you know, ultimately, we're able to get a, a private investor. Luckily, oil and gas is pretty big in this region, and uh, and we're able to raise funds via private investors to to bring the product to market. That's great. What is what is your long term goal? I mean, is it to create this great company and and sell it? Or is this something you really want to run for a while and build into a... Well, you know, my her overall uh, driver, I guess, in this, uh, number one, is, is not really to, to build it to sell it and not build it to go public. It really is to, uh, I don't want to sound silly, but it really to make, make a difference. And um, I think we can. Now, you know, cert you know, certainly when I go to sleep at night, it'd be great to think that there's going to be a really great exit at some point. And, uh, but, but at this point right now, we're, we're really focused on some uh, short-term goals, which is, you know, to, to get a couple of really good accounts going, show, uh, show results. Um, we would love to publish some scientific literature on this, and okay. we have a good partner on that, and I think that's important. Uh, I think we're on the very uh, front edge of this technology that will give, I mean, make, make changes for, for a lot of people. Excellent. What about you, Alan? Do you have an exit strategy yet or a long-term plan? Yes. Uh, you know, we have a lot of milestones we want to hit over the next couple of years. Uh, ultimately, we could see ourselves being acquired by uh, a larger corporation that wants a, a technology wing, if you will. Okay. Uh, but uh, really focused on hitting the things that are, are on the horizon, uh, big picture, um, those things could change, whether it's going public or uh, being acquired. But I think the modern business model uh, it leads to some sort of exit. I don't really <laughs> know. Point. I've heard of anyone building a long-term, you know, generational type of company these days. Right. But I think uh, mm -hmm. something that John said I thought was interesting was that uh, I don't think entrepreneurs go into it with dollar signs in their eyes. Uh, you, you know, you have something that you want to create that you can't get out of your head and you just keep pursuing it until, you know, until you can't anymore or your bank tells you you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Well, John Doddle and Alan Martin, good luck as you launch these ventures. Both of you have great concepts and we need more great ideas in this market and I admire your courage for going out there and getting it done. So I wish we had more time to visit. It just goes so quick. So thanks for sharing your stories and being here today on Out to Lunch. Stephanie, thank you. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been John Doddle of Insight GX and Alan Martin of Rex Industrial. You can find out more about Insight GX and Rex Industrial by following the links on our website, itsbetonrouge.la and wrkf.org. 
Today's show was recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2 for dinner nightly and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. All the music on Out to Lunch is composed and performed by Mitchell Foreman. You can find more of Mitchell's music wherever great jazz is streamed or sold and at mitchellforeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, it's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for it's batonrouge.la and wrkf 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. Want five-star service from a financial institution you can trust? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.